You are listening to Destination Church Belfast weekly podcast. You can find us at www.destinationchurchbelfast.co.uk. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook. Happy listening. So, shall I do a quick recap? How are we doing with the violence of love? Good. Made any application of it? Excellent. Well done. Anybody else want to take that one? Teaching, instruction that is practical and relevant. So you want to come away from a Sunday morning. We want to come here to worship him together. And I hope that you find that you're doing that and finding freedom and liberty in that. But the other thing you want to come away from is some measure of application of what you've heard. Particularly in what we're talking about this morning, you want to be able to come away from this and go, right, what have I got to do? Because if all this does is just echoes around thoughts in your head, you maybe have a bit of a conversation about it, you maybe are in agreement, you're maybe not in agreement, I would encourage you to yield yourself if you're not in agreement, and that looks like going, they're my leaders, let's see where this goes. But let's move this from hearing it to becoming doers of it and have an application of this, okay? So our key verse for this message series is Matthew eleven twelve, and from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of the heavens is taken by violence, and the violence sees it. So if we're going to get anything in this kingdom, well, first of all, we're going to have to receive it, and then you're going to have to grab it. A lot of what God says seems to be an oxymoron. The two things are in complete contrast to each other. You've got to receive that there is a kingdom and that it's present, and then you've got to violently seize it. The definition, as the Greek word communicates it as biazo, which means to properly use power to forcibly seize, laying hold of something with positive aggressiveness. And it's only used twice in the New Testament, and both times it's positively. So this is not a negative thing. It's used of the believer living in faith, which is God's inward persuasions, guiding and empowering them to act forcefully, i.e. fired up to act for God. And last week we were talking about determined perseverance. Our small group were quietly wrestling with it. Some people were more vocally wrestling with it, but you want to be able to get your hands on it and go, well, what does this look like for me? And I defined it as determined perseverance is single-focused, undiminishing, grace-fueled intention, yielded to the process and require, that's required to fulfill the God-given vision. That it's single-focused, it's not double-minded, it doesn't have two visions. That it's not having the mind of the soul and the mind of the spirit and the, I'll not do the walking backwards and forwards thing again, but you get the analogy. You get exhausted because you go between one thing and between another. And it offered to you last week that it's having the mind of the soul and the mind of the spirit and the two of them are in absolute conflict with each other. And we've got to have the word of God to divide between the two. That's Hebrews 4.12. That it's grace-fueled, 2 Corinthians 12.9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient to you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That you on your own cannot do what God is asking you to do. And it involves normally an area of personal weakness that we do not want to go to, that we often want to play to our strengths. But God will call you into an area where you feel weak which dramatically indicates to everybody else there's no way that Colin could do that unless there's something else going on. So who gets the glory out of that? 
You can only do it if God empowers you to do it. And you need vision. Proverbs 29, 18, where there's no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. So to be able to accomplish the vision, say it's a diet, what do you have to do to be able to lose weight? Boys are dear. Not eat food. Or eat the right food. Or exercise. Or a culmination of all of them together. But for you to be able to say no to your guilty pleasure, you have to go, I want that more than I want this. So to be able to yield yourself to the process to accomplish the vision, you first got to have the vision. And you can't stir up your will. You can't just, I'm going to muster up all my strength. If you have vision, it's going to look like this. Then you will go through the necessary process to get it done. Okay? Jesus told the story about the violence of love and determined persistence in this passage. Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine is on a journey. He's come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside shouts, don't bother me, the door's already locked, my children and I are in bed, I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. And then Jesus ties it into how you get hold of the kingdom. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. And in the Amplified it says, keep on asking. Keep on knocking. Keep on seeking. Seeking you will find. Knock on the door will be opened to you. For everyone he asks receives. The one he seeks finds. And to the one he knocks the door will be opened. But shame will stop you from knocking on the door of your destiny and of your provision. Mark's rubbing his head. It's hard going sometimes, isn't it? Shame will stop you from knocking on the door of your destiny. So if there's anywhere where shame is operating, you'll likely just give up. And you might put a soulish explanation somewhere like, I'm too tired, I've got too much on, or whatever. But actually, when you go to the root of it, you find that it's shame just manipulating in the background because there's some place in there where you believe the grace of God cannot reach. So where's shame stopping you is, I think, where I left off last week. And I want to make comment on the three prophetic messages from the start of the year. Can you remember them? What were they? Sweetness and completeness, experiencing the goodness of God, that God would tie last year with this year and complete a process. The next one? Step up, year of dominion, step up and put your foot down. And then finally? Year of restoration and rebuilding. So these are on the table, and we're uh, not too far off June. We're just really, I suppose, the middle of May. Did you like that? We're nearly in June. Let's go back to the middle of May. Claire's looking at me like, where are you going with us? Middle of May. Sorry. If you're going to lay hold of any of these things, what are you going to have to do? Do we just go... Well, if it's the Lord, if the Lord's will, it'll happen. What do we do then? You fight it. What else? Take action. Let go of other things. Say no to that, to be able to say yes to this. Go through the necessary training. Get the hassle out of get your diary open and make that date with that person or that regular date with that person. There's uh, someone in my life at the minute that I wouldn't have seen an awful lot of. And one of the things this year was I'm going to connect with them and get a cup of coffee in McDonald's on a Monday evening once a month. And it's great. 
It's annoying. Got to get the diary out. Can't really be bothered. It's another thing to do. But the fruit of it is that there's a relationship that's being rebuilt and it's being restored. And in the simplicity of that, it's simply about doing an action. So all of this cerebral, often super spiritual activity that we do stops us from the rubber hitting the road of, okay, what do we actually need to do? We've got to get some violence about us if we're to partner with God in the process of what's been prophesied. So this morning, let me give you a context, and I want to ask you some questions, and if you respond, that would be wonderful, and if you're just going to introspectively respond, we'll let you away with it. Are you getting more comfortable with that God's good? Okay. Is, as a father, is he cross with you? What does he look like? You think about that. What, what is, shout it out. What does he look like? Really? What does he look like? Is he uh, watching you and pointing at you and saying you're doing that wrong and you're doing this wrong? Is he going, come on, talk to me. I want to, come on, tell me what you're thinking about this. Come on, come on, come see. I've got something great for you. Is he saying, you need to stop that. I'm fed up with dealing with you. And if you do it again, we're done. All right, we're done. Or is he done already? Is he fed up with you and actually really let's square up the fact that you've committed the unforgivable sin and it's all over? Where are we? Are we in a good place with him? Is who he is riding the waves of our lives and the circumstances of our lives and the difficulty? Or are we settled that he's really good? And if you want to write out the story of the prodigal son all your life, please do. Because he couldn't give a monkey's about what the prodigal could actually say. He was overwhelmed with joy that his son actually was back. He was saying to him, go and slaughter the calf. Come on, get the order in the Domino's pizza because we're going to have a party because my son's back. Yay! Or is that just for the prodigal son, just not for you because you're not that lovable? I want to ask you these questions because where we're going this morning, unless you square away that he's really good, he's really kind, he's really smiley, he says things that are scary sometimes, he asks more of us than we think we actually have, but whenever you die to the fact that he knows more about you than you do, you're actually all right with that, and you just go, here we go again, and you hold on tight, and he's good, and he likes to give hugs, and he's emotional in how he speaks, and he's clear about what he says, as he's an expert in everything that he puts his hand to. Nothing shocks him, nothing scares him. He's actually quite lighthearted and he wants us to be like him. If you don't have that picture of him, what I'm about to say is going to crush you entirely. So yesterday morning, uh, I was... I got up, I'd said to Isaac the night before, son, are you ready for the poached eggs on a Saturday morning? Now, if you know me, it's those little things that just, it, that just makes life complete for me. Isaac calls it the egg club. And uh, if you want to come into the egg club, he said, you kind of have to ask and you're free to come and go from the egg club, but you need to announce, I want to be part of the egg club. So I was like, you ready for your poached eggs? And uh, then got up in the morning and um, I put on, I think, five slices of toast. We got that at Seed Bread from Tesco's, 89p, can't beat it with a big stick. Put it under the grill because if you want to do bread at the same time together and toast it nicely and nice and evenly, do it under the grill. Got it already, had the water boiling, and I reached for the eggs, which were not there. I was devastated. 
Claire came into me staring, staring, just staring out the window. And she said, um, you want to talk about it? I was like, I really do. I was devastated. And then I had this thought, it's just, and don't steal my point. And then I had, then I had this thought, it's just eggs. Do you know why they're not there? Because I didn't buy them. All right? Two responses. One is, it is a symbol of my life. I prepare things and what I need is not there. And this always happens to me. And I've had enough. I've just had enough. You, I'm not on my own, am I? The lace in your shoe breaks. It's just cut. Or it's just a lace. I didn't want to eat the toast, but I did eat the toast. It was cold. It wasn't that pleasant. But I went and I did the things I needed to do. Spent a bit of time in the garden and took Isaac to his birthday party. Claire and I talked. It was really good. It was really helpful. Claire, it's not, I don't want to ask her to comment on that. But what I want to say is that there are two responses that you can make to this message this morning. One is condemnation. Everything's awful. These eggs and the lack of them are symbolic of my life. And we do this all the time, don't we? Something goes wrong. This always happens to me. No, it doesn't. I would say this has happened to me twice in my life, that there's been no eggs, because normally I'm pretty good at knowing when things need to be replenished. It's true. Claire doesn't deal with that. I deal with that. I took responsibility. And then Claire said, I did use a lot of them. And I thought, don't give me opportunity to sin, woman. So make your decision how you're going to respond as those people here are quietly going, I am that soldier. So in this, in this take responsibility, don't take the bait. Take responsibility, don't take the bait. There are always two trees in the garden, okay? And when I tell you what this is about, you're going to understand why. So this morning we're going to talk about the violence of love in dealing with our sin. Claire said to me, what are you speaking about tomorrow? And I told her, and she went, that's cheery. <laughs> Keeps me grounded. So it's a dangerous message to give because there's two possibilities. One is that you'll receive condemnation. And the condemnation says that you're just a mess. You're just a mess. Your life's like this. You're never going to change. God, doesn't, God tolerates you. If that, you've maybe done things that can't be forgiven. Okay? That's a lie. The truth is, it's just sin. You need to deal with it. If I want to eat eggs, I need to go to Tesco's and buy them or wherever I get them from. You want to live the victorious life, you need to deal with your stuff. Has everybody here got some stuff that they need to deal with? Could we even have a show of hands? Is there anybody in this room who does not have stuff to deal with? Doesn't? We have all got something to deal with, okay? So we're in good company. Do we want to overcome our stuff? Right, so let's get on with it. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free. You're free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son, in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. That is Romans 8, 1 to 4, ladies and gentlemen. So the ground that we stand on is the issue that would have caused, caused condemnation was met in Jesus Christ. It's done. So this morning we're talking about practically cleaning ourselves up. 
The Holy Spirit came to bring conviction, and he still does. John 16, 8, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The word convict, I'm not even going to try to pronounce. The Greek word means properly to convince with solid, compelling evidence, especially to expose or prove wrong. Okay? So when the Spirit comes, he comes and he says, Colin, there's this area, and you've been doing this for a while. If you want to get to where I want to take you, you need to deal with that. It's not, you're a mess, I'm sick and tired of dealing with you, and we're done. Okay? It's unto life. So condemnation's about death, conviction's about life. God convicts you to call you up. True accountability is not me saying to you, you're doing this, I'm going to just call you out on your stuff. If you've met with me and I've ever said to you, you need to look at that because that's not who you are, because this is who you are. So when the Holy Spirit brings conviction to you, he is convicting you of behavior that is not, of, not becoming of one of his children. He's calling you up. He often calls you out to call you up, and there are stages of this. So initially, there's just the innate sense of this is wrong. Then you might find someone will come to you, or they'll be brought up in conversation, not meaning to. Then someone might come to you specifically. Then you may be called out, and then after that, God will let circumstances deal with you. So there's a process even in this. I heartily recommend, having gone through several of the circumstances dealing with you, that you don't let it get that far. The word sin is hamartia, which means um, it's, it emphasizes self-originated nature and self-power. It's not originated or empowered by God. It's not his inworked persuasion of faith, and it is missing the mark. We sin because we think our ways are better, don't we? And often we sin when we're in pain as a means of coping with life. You either go to the soul or you go to the spirit when you're in pain. And because we've lived in this world largely in the absence of God or the knowledge of him, we've developed these coping strategies that help us get through life. So the spirit wants to take you through this process where all of that gets unwound. Now, you can go to like the big three, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, or you can think of you maybe bitch about something, or you watch that inappropriate thing, or you smoke that thing, ingest that thing, eat that thing, make that act, act out of that place, whatever it is, don't get trapped into those things are unhelpful and are not good. But this is about sin, missing the mark, strategies that we have developed to cope with life in the absence of God, okay? John Calvin said, the surest source of destruction to men is to obey themselves. Yet self-obedience seems the only reasonable path to nearly everybody. Proverbs 3, 5 to 6 is in perfect contrast. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. So when you sin, you miss the mark of who you're called to be. And when you sin, you're not acting like who you really are. You don't need to be afraid of this. You don't need to chase anymore. You don't need to medicate the pain that you have because you've got this God who is able to help you. When you connect with the places in your life when you're in pain and you're acting inappropriately, you can then go to him and say, Daddy, I'm sore and I'm hurting. Can you help me? Because he said that his grace is enough. 
But to be able to do that, you've got to recognize you're in pain. You've got to recognize that it's your responsibility, that you're in pain. You've got to grab it. You've got to go, God, I'm feeling sore. I'm really disappointed by that. I'm disappointed by that person's actions, by what happened to me in the past, by what's happening now, where I am in my life. You've got to recognize it. You've got to own it. And in honesty and truth and transparency, you come and say, God, I'm a bit disappointed. And you might find that he says, I know. And you might find that that's all you need to hear. You are a saint if you love Jesus and you recognize what he did on the cross. You are a saint who sins. You are not a sinner. And you will find that the closer that you get to God, the more miserable you will be when you do sin. And thank God for it. Romans 14.23, everything that does not come from faith is sin. Everything means everything. And that word faith is the word, the Greek word, which means is pistis, God's divine persuasion, where he's inside there persuading you, convicting you, encouraging you to do something. Now, here's the kicker. If you've been persuaded by God that there is something that you should do and you do not do it, it is then sin. James 4.17, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and does not do it, it is sin for them. Now, I would say that probably 80% of us in this room could go, yeah, yeah, there probably is. Now, if that's where it stops, you've missed it. If it's sin, you don't want it. If it's sin, you need to say, God, I'm sorry, I accept what Jesus did for me. I want to turn away from that and act differently. So if in the process of this morning there's conviction of, I need to do that, then let it come. You need to get some violence to deal with your sin. You need to get some violence to uncover why you haven't dealt with it. And you need to get some violence to displace the fear that is present and motivating. And often we are motivated by fear in places where it seems like we're actually all right. But when you drill it down and go further down and go further down, then you start to discover that actually fear is the thing that's manipulating you and causing you to act in a certain way because you're yielding yourself to it. Bill Johnson's definition of fear, he says that fear is faith in the devil. Gets me every time. We have more faith in the darkness than we do in the light. And then I don't know who quoted this, but false evidence appearing real is an, uh, is an anagram, and that's not right. I can't think of it. It spells out fear. False evidence appearing real. Second Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. So if there's anywhere in your life where you're fearful, where did that come from? audience participation moment. Where did it come from? Circumstance. Where did it come from? Came from the enemy. Why are we, or you, or me, tolerating it? Because we're not listening to him. Here's the, uh, this, this verse for me is the epitome of uh, familiarity breeds contempt. We've seen it on uh, barns and signs throughout the province of Ulster. 
For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. My goodness. My goodness. It's everywhere. Nobody really reads it. Whenever I hear it, I practically switch off. Death is a wage you can earn. You earn death by your sin in the areas where you're not persuaded by God and where you act according to how you think is going to go best. Life is a gift that you receive. Life in all its fullness. When you realize Jesus is who he says he is and he did exactly what he said he would do. So death is a wage that you earn and life is a gift that you receive. So what have you been tolerating? Here's a hard line verse. Remember, he loves us. He loves us, okay? He's a good dad. He's really kind. He's out for your best. So don't be starting to drift into these eggs are the symbol of my life. Just need to go to Tesco's and get some eggs. Saturday's going to come around again and those eggs will be beautiful, okay? So it's all all right. We're in the context of safety. He loves us. But here's a hard-hitting verse. Matthew 5, 29. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. Well, that makes no sense whatsoever. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. So yesterday I was out in the garden. I got a couple of minutes. So I was by myself, which was best for everyone after the egg incident. And uh, I was looking at my lupins, and I love those lupins. They're just, oh, they're just, they're just looking so healthy. And I was having a wee look around, and I noticed that one wasn't looking that healthy. And as I investigated further, I thought, it is infested with green fly. Infested with green fly. I was indignant. How dare you do this to my lupins? They're beautiful. I thought, I know what I'm going to do. See these chemical solutions. You know what you need? You need a blast of water. <clears throat> you take that, take that. And then I was checking to see that they didn't hop off onto that because I know where they're going. They're going to work their whole way around my entire garden and steal the joy that I have worked so hard to sow and reap in my life. So I hosed those little suckers off my lupins. How do they work? Well, all you need is one. If you've won Greenfly, they don't need any love nor couple. They can recreate all by themselves. And what they do is they all get their wee straws out and they suck the life out of the stem of the plant. And eventually, if you don't see it, the plant starts to die and it completely all falls apart. I wonder if often, and let's speak to all of us in the room, that we think that sin is a wee bit like a couple of sugars in the tea. No, I shouldn't. And yet, all of those little cups of sugar in the tea end up meaning that you're dead. And maybe you're physically still present, but you're dead. You know life about you because you tolerated something that you should never, ever have let have residence in your life at all. Greenfly is, I, I mean, they are microscopic. And if you get, I mean, I know from experience, I could destroy my entire garden. I love my garden. So what are you tolerating in your life? What are the sins that you think, no, it's a wee vice, wee guilty pleasure. And if you talk out there, that's all right. Sure, everybody, sure everybody needs to kick off steam and get your head shard. Whatever that may be, what is it that you're tolerating? 
And how did I deal with it? Out came the hose. Whoosh! And actually, while I was typing this this morning, at about half, half six, I thought I could nip out to the garden just to check on them right now. And then I thought Claire would hear me and then come down and shout at me, and I didn't want to do that. <laughs> One of the things that we need is a revelation of the seriousness of the situation. And the seriousness of the situation is that you're tolerating stuff that's going to kill you. And because it's not killing you right away, you're all right with that. The false positive, oh, it'll be all right. It really won't. The false negative, I'm going to hell. (laughs) No, if you love Jesus, you're not. The reality is we've got stuff that we need to deal with. And if we want to walk further with Jesus to the destination, the fullness of him and who we can be as a church, then we've got to start dealing with our stuff. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything. Somehow you read those verses and it's like they go, oh, there's something in my shoe. That's, oh, this is encumbered upon me while I run. My image is like, get, get, get off, get off me, get off me. You ever seen the Spider-Man movies? Remember when he puts on the dark suit and he tries to get it off and it's violent. It's like, get off me, get, no, I don't want, get, I don't want that, no. And then we come back and we've all done it and we say, I tried holding my thoughts captive. It was really hard. It really is. But you've got to get some vision and get some revelation of the seriousness of the situation. If you tolerate and continue to tolerate, there's parts of your life, if not your entire life, that the enemy will consume and will kill. So get some violence about you. Get some violence in your attitude towards sin. You mustn't tolerate it. You mustn't accommodate it. And here's the question. What does it look like for you to deal violently with your sin? Can I get you guys to come on? And here's the thing. It starts with us. Matthew 7, 3 to 5. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So recognize that it's easier to avoid than to deal with. And most of the time we'll point at somebody else and say, well, they need to put their stuff together or they need to do that, or my marriage would be better if only she did that. Whereas actually the whole principle in Scripture is take your eyes off the other and put them on yourself. Recognize that we've got to deal with our stuff. Claire may have used loads of eggs throughout the week, but I didn't buy them. It's my responsibility. Don't avoid it, confront it in yourself. If you're struggling with someone else's sin, and this could be very real, all you can see is them. If only they stopped doing that, I would find it easier. 
If only they hadn't done that to me in the past, then I wouldn't be standing where I am now. If only, if only, if only. And Scripture is really clear. You don't want to start pointing the finger until you've looked. Well, you don't ever want to start pointing the finger. In fact, when you do get to the place that you should be confronting other people, you won't want to do it. Ask God. Looks like this. Psalm 139, 23 to 24. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And James 4, 8. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, which is, means it's symbolic for your intentions and the things that you're doing. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And when God reveals something that's offensive to him within you, it's got to become offensive to you too. And then deal violently with the sin in your life. Can I ask you to stand with me? Capture the thought and you'll kill the action. Hold every thought captive and lead it away in obedience to Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 10.5 So we must develop some violence to be able to deal with the sin that's in our life because we have a race to run. A race that's been marked out for us. So are you done with tolerating what's been harming you? And what I would encourage you to do this morning is if in the process starting now, the Spirit bring some small item or thing that you're doing to your mind. Do not sweep it away because it may be the seedling of a mighty tree that could take you out. And he may not be convicting other people of that. It's not about them. It's about you. And as always, I have some questions to help you to respond. Are you finding that you're more often receiving condemnation instead of conviction? Are you tolerating sin in your life that you should be dealing violently with? And finally, do you want to get free? If you can answer yes to any of these questions, or you simply want ministry, please come and join me now at the front. been listening to Destination Church Belfast weekly podcast. Remember to check us out at www.destinationchurchbelfast.co.uk and have a great week.